This is the Inside Track. I'm Skyler. And I'm Carter. And uh, we're going to talk some Formula One. We're a new podcast getting started here from the Midwest, Missouri, to be a little bit more exact, of the United States. We're a couple idiots. And we're just going to tell you guys what we think we know and probably be wrong and roasted and blasted on social media for it all over the place. But that's all right. We're going to go for it. Absolutely cannot wait. Uh, let's kind of give you guys a short little preview of what you're getting into today, for better or for worse. So we're going to kind of detail our interest in the sport, how we got into this lovely thing that is Formula One, more or less what to expect from this podcast, what kind of style of thing we're doing here. Then the meat and potatoes, the entree here, this is last season in review. Last time we tried to record this, this probably took like 45 minutes. So we're going to cut after that and then we'll, we'll get ready to, to go into the next one. We'll give you guys an idea of what to look forward to going forward. So let's just jump into how you got into the sport. Skyler, what is your introduction into Formula One? Monaco, 2018. Danny Ricardo with his redemption drive. With losing... X percentage of his power unit. They were saying 25-30% of his power. And still able to. I know it's Monaco. I know you can't pass in Monaco. And everyone's going to say that. But still, when you're driving a Formula 1 car with a quarter of the power that the car is supposed to have. And you can maintain a lead on any track. It's an impressive drive. So It means something. Yeah. And the whole storyline of how he got robbed a couple years back with a pit stop that wasn't needed. That went faulty. That then put him behind. And he finished second. And then he was finally able to get that redemption. He's Danny Ricardo, one of my favorite drivers, so that helps a little bit too. This is an important piece. I can't wait to talk about Monaco in the next oh, episode. I'm yeah. so excited. Uh, here's kind of my start. So I'm not a car guy. I I couldn't tell you what a camshaft is. I don't, or I don't even know if that's in a Formula One car. They, yeah. I'm sure they do. They so have. again, we're idiots just <laughs> for clarification purposes. Look, so my investment in the sport has nothing to do with cars initially. So it's starts with me just being a fan of Zach Chomler and his podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. He watched Drive to Survive, was starting to cover it at the end of his podcast episodes, and I more or less for the 2020 season kind of just followed by his coverage. I had no reference for what any of this was, but it was it was interesting to track, and then I watched DTS myself, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm locked in. This, this seems fun, and I joined in early in the 2021 season. So the first race I saw was France 21. That's when Max had that moment in turn two at the start and fell behind both the mercedes and overtakes valtteri on lap 44 then overtakes lewis on lap 52 and like the crowd roared and like i was hooked that was that was all that i needed the wheel to wheel racing the drama the antics like it doesn't get a lot better best thing best way anyone has ever been able to concisely express the surrounding appeal for formula one this youtuber said something along the lines of like formula one is power precision bravery and politics at 200 miles an hour and it's hard not to be romantic about that you know what i mean like that's that's pretty cool how do you how do you not be romantic about that that's there's not a lot more you can ask for so that's how we get invested in the sport then as for the podcast and how this starts and what you're going to be looking at look we're not damon hill and david coldhart like that's I had to look up how to spell his name. I know, like that's, <laughs> I've never raced a car. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you how to spell his name. I'll tell you that much. Uh, right yeah, now. like we're the racing equivalent of armchair quarterbacks here. So we originally were going to name this the backseat drivers for that purpose. We bring a couple qualities here, which is like we're not going to spew hot takes. We're not going to say shock jock radio things that are just there for shock value and to get clicks and whatever. I think we'll do that by being. Um, authentically wrong probably oh yeah <laughs> that more that more so be my guess so 
And we're going to own up to that when we're wrong. And I think another benefit of what you can look for here is we're not going to have too much political ways of saying things. Like if somebody sucks, I think that's just kind of the way we're going to call it. it. Uh, We have a couple drivers later on. That's the way that we're going to have that conversation. And we'll get to that when the time comes. I know the last time we spoke, we just had some harsh opinions and calling things pretty straight. And we'll, again, we'll, we'll get to that when the rubber meets the road. And this is, this also isn't going to be a debate show. We're not going to be, facetiously arguing i think that there will be some clear devil's advocate there i think there are some times where we're also just genuinely going to have some disagreements and we'll expand on those thoughts so with that let's jump into the hot the hot section this is this is where it all goes down so last season 2022 in review take it from the top red bull starting at red bull we're gonna start from the top work our way back uh well what do you i mean what do you say to just describe domination boring i should have have gotten the definition of that (laughs) in in this case boring i think maybe it would be the right way impressively boring yeah i mean they had 17 wins they were utterly dominant from the word go outside of some mechanical issues at the start of the season and then uh i'm gonna apologize right now uh we're both kind of dealing with little trickle slight cough things so if you hear a couple of them i'm gonna try to edit it out but it might be there just fair warning it's inevitable so, anyways, moving on. Uh, they were completely dominant. I mean, they, from the word go, it was Red Bull. And it was Red Bull from testing. It was Red Bull. I mean, Max was the favorite going in to round one. Yep. So, without the reliability issues, they probably win 19 races this year. Like, they, that's a very real possibility. So, complete dominance. Um, they got the best car, the best driver right now on the grid. Talent-wise, just go-for-it-wise. Everything put together. Total Wolf said so himself. He's not young anymore. He doesn't make, I mean, he still makes some mistakes, but you're driving a car at 200 miles an hour. You're going to make some mistakes here and there. So he's there, there, there. I don't think they're going anywhere. And last year was just domination. Yeah, it was 10 out of 10 Super Max on full display. I mean, a nearly perfect season from him. Like you said, you removed some of those failures. And in fairness, like Leclerc, I think, was leading three races that he crashed in or didn't finish at least. So. France comes to mind as like the the most painful gut wrenching one, but yeah. To borrow a term for Max, it was simply lovely. So his average finish, I've kind of divided the season into three sections. So the first seven races, the second seven races, and the final eight. So I averaged out everybody's race final placements, excluded the DNFs, averaged it out from there, just so you guys have an idea of how where these numbers are coming from. His overall season average is a one point nine. That's obviously at the top. Checo also had a pretty good year. Uh, he had his moments, particularly on the front side. The middle left a little bit to be desired, but down down the stretch, the gap really formed. I think Max really, really started to hone in with that car. And the season ended with Checo down 1.2 positions from Max and 1.07 across the year. So closed it, closed it a little bit. In total, like we're we're just looking at a mostly distant season. We're looking at Max starting in what was it P ten in Hungary, yeah, winning the race. We're looking uh, where did he start in Spa eight six something like that seven seven, seven. and then and seven. wins by what like thirty seconds yeah something stupid. absurd. And wasn't it Hungary where he started in tenth and he also had the spin coming off the straight because he had that gust of wind that spun him around and he still won the race and like, France too. I think he had yeah. the spin in France too. So, like, it, even on the rare, like, moments, 
it just didn't matter. So call it luck, call it skill, a little bit of both probably. It's it's fortune, but those are also situations you put yourself in control of. So we're going to go down the grid here. Barely second in constructor, Ferrari. <sighs> cue, cue the clown music, man. I This one hurt. It Their one lap pace was better than anybody else. They secured 11 poles. That's half the races. They won four of those races. Red Bull has nine poles and they win 17. What I learned last year in the way the Ferrari operated is they put together a Taekwondo car. And what I mean by that is you see these Taekwondo moves and people do this thing where they're essentially saying, hey, if you do this move, then this is how I would counter this. And if I do this, then what you need to do is... And it feels very... It requires this thing to happen in order for my thing to go the way I want it to. And it seemed like that's kind of what Ferrari was looking at. The second that there was a whole lot of opposition or things that got in their way that were not exactly planned, they just kind of fell apart. It's a kind of a, a straw house, if, if that's a better analogy for you. Here's, here's the reality is we watched a car just not hold up to adversity. Driver error, pit strategy, car catching on fire just didn't really seem to matter. Charlotte Claire is a bit of an enigma to me. Watching him last year, you see him have some moments that are absolutely brilliant. You see him also Bennett and Imola when he's trying to track down. You see him pushing a little too hard. I think you see a little bit of the immaturity still left there. And clearly a capable driver to compete for race wins and championships and for years to come. But you got to wonder, like, was that the shot? And, you know, I guess we'll see. But Carlos Sainz also gets his first race win. That was the best race of the year in Silverstone. So. There, and the uh, first really five to seven races were really tight, really interesting, really fun. I think Jetta is like a four-tenths gap. The first race, we just got to see a lot of really fun wheel-to-wheel racing. They had, We had the DRS trading oh, stuff. Yeah. Like That was really fun. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they just could not maintain that type of race pace by and large. And that's where Red Bull really had the advantage and ran away with the season. So following thoughts on on ferrari for uh, you. The, the big thing i want to do here is give charles a little bit of props because uh what you said with the drs swapping and everything the way that he was able to try and strategize like letting max get ahead of him just barely going into like drs de- drs detection zones and things like that that racing was absolutely fantastic it was amazing to watch at the start of the season so really glad that that happened and i'm really glad that we were able to watch it so i I just hope it continues and it comes back. I don't think it's going to, but I really hope it does. As a, as a little plug to the name of the show, Sidetrack here, we had new regulations in 2022, and the big goal for those new regulations was to encourage more of that wheel-to-wheel racing and so that we would have less dirty air on cars behind so that there's less of a discouragement to ride closer to other people. And we luckily got... All of that in that race, and I, I, I agree. I, I certainly hope that that's a good indication of what's to come as more and more teams start to figure out how they want to hook up these cars going forward. So why don't you uh, take us down the Mercedes road here, the Ooh, the road the to shame. yeah, The big-time disappointment of last year. Side pod season, huh? No side pods, but uh, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, the car looked different. From the start of the season, everyone was talking about it. It did not look like what a lot of other teams that try to construct. And then, all of a sudden, they have issues. And they had the worst porpoising 
on the grid, like by far. It, it was, was substantial. Agreed so Lewis can barely get out of the car. Oh, which track was that? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, was it? Okay, so he barely gets out of the car. He admits that that was the hardest race he's ever physically had. So it's just their whole like season was compromised by their porpoising issue. And then even when they got on top of it, they had spent so much time on that that they had fallen behind in development of the car. I just think that they were so far off and left field at the start of the season that they were never able to really get it back. They got closer towards the end of the year. They were really able to battle with Ferrari. George won a race, got his first race win. Huge for George. So happy for him after he was stuck in the Williams for forever. So that's a good prop. Uh, Lots of second place finishes. They even had a couple double podiums. Like They're still a top three team. And they were a top three team. And they're going to be a top three team. But do I... They weren't able to compete with Red Bull, and really at the start of the season, they couldn't even touch Ferrari either. So I hope that they develop next year, but last year it was just it was a brutal thing to watch. Yeah, you have the back aching Azerbaijan, you have Lewis getting lapped in Imola. Like, you just have some really low lows that, on one hand, obviously they want to forget, but I think these are things that are seared in their mind. And the way that they run that operation of just, like, anything less than winning is just unsuccessful. I think those are things that they're going to really try to fix. But as for last year, yeah, that's just that's not the way that it was looking. So big step back from the previous eight seasons, eight consecutive constructor championships. Like, you have uh, seven world titles, I think, in that same stretch. And then this year... Certainly not that same way. Lewis really struggled out the gate. Through the first seven races, He's he averaged seventh, like on the dot. And that is, if you are new to the sport, understand that Lewis Hamilton is a seven-time world champion. He is arguably the greatest of all time. Centurion. He has 100 race 100 wins. 100 race wins. Yeah, to wrap it up, uh, they had one, one win, which was Russell. They had six second-place finishes and ten third-place finishes. So they just... They were the third best team last year. It's sad to say. I really wish they were more in the fight because I think they're better prepared to fight with Red Bull than I trust Ferrari anymore. But I just don't. Their car wasn't there, so we saw what happened when Red Bull doesn't have a true comp- true competitor. Yeah, it's a little boring. And like, granted, obviously, as a last note on Merck here, they they climbed, and I think just to give like full flowers to that. Obviously, of course, George winning his race was a big thing. You have. Lewis starting the the first split with seventh average. He has the middle split at a two point eight average. Final split he's at a four point one four. George was Mister Consistent last year. Aside from the big incident in Silverstone, he had a fantastic year, sitting in top five virtually he much the whole time. Fifth, like every race, it seemed like. And my my only frustration a little bit in terms of their success last year, if you want to call it that, for from their angle is a lot of those podiums felt gifted. Uh, you, It's just Ferraris exploding, and then here comes a Mercedes, and it's this is part of the sport, but boy, it felt like it, half of Russell's podiums was like, oh yeah, and by the way, there goes signs and Leclerc into the wall. So here you go, George, here's a podium. They were definitely uh, reliable and consistent. I mean, they were always there to pick up the pieces yeah, whenever absolutely. one of the other two teams messed up. So got to give, give them a little bit of props, but kind of sucks. This is gonna segue into my favorite my favorite part of this alpine the french team what a weird year man uh lightning straight line speed about as good as it probably top three on the grid in terms of just straight up pace down down a line like 
very fast. I think the team let their drivers race too much. It felt like I was watching Ocon and Alonso stop each other from advancing. I like the idea of letting your drivers race a little bit. I think we don't see that often enough, but I think that they were too far on the other end of the pendulum there. That aside, how else is it looking? It was a faulty car, uh, particularly towards the back end of the season. So, was it? if uh, yeah, <laughs> or was it? Yeah, we'll get into that. So, whether it was, if it wasn't the drivers trying to, you know, take each other and jockey each other for a position, it was going to be Alonso and Ocon's cars just dying. They did both perform well in the races that they finished, and they are pretty consistent. So, they're sitting at eighth and ninth in terms of best overall average placing drivers. Or we got to talk about Fernando and that car. So, Fernando leaves. Alpine for Aston Martin. Great move. Hindsight. Yeah, it, it, it's looking good so far through through testing and, and hopefully what we'll see in this first race weekend. So at the time, he wanted commitment from Alpine. He wanted more than one year. They didn't seem willing to offer that. And after he leaves, he has four of his six DNFs. And if you want to include some of the other things, this is a direct quote from Fernando. So he said, Quote, so I think there are nine or ten reliability issues, which at this level is obviously not acceptable, and they all happen to my car, end quote. He had a couple other quotes referencing things always happening to the car with the number 14 on it. If we want to go into the conspiracy lane, and maybe we'll have conspiracies in weeks to get, we will. It's inevitable. We're going to talk about dumb stuff, and likely our position is going to be, hey, this probably doesn't actually matter. We're going to be the boring person to tell you that, but... I think it's at least strange that three-fourths of the DNFs, because if you want to go to 10, nine or 10 of his issues, because he had a sprint race issue, he had a qualifying issue, he had to start in pit lane, I think, on a, on a race day. Like yeah. He gets pushed back further than just what Sunday DNFs look like. I, I'm looking at three-fourths of their DNFs where Alonzo's having these issues, and he's talking about this after Abu Dhabi, and... I gotta wonder, is Alpine setting this person up because they don't seem to like him? I have some feelings that Otmar that tell me that that is a little bit what's going on. I don't know that I'm willing to say that firmly, but I think Otmar has this interesting thing where he does not want to say nice things about people that don't work with him anymore. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. yeah. that's very true. He seems to have this very odd... So this is my opinion (laughs) in regards to like previous relationships in in your life. I think that it looks bad on you for you to say bad things about people that have been intimately in your life because I think that that's probably a, an interesting reflection on what you allowed for yourself. And what does that say about you if what you're saying is true? Why would you say these things about this person? And he seems to do that a little more than I'm comfortable with personally. This is all speculation, just opinion-based. Like the, the, the numbers are lacking a little bit on this, I'll admit, but that was my rabbit hole. In conclusion for Alpine, it's a good year that should have been better. I think Alonso had some positions where he could have absolutely won a race. Canada, obviously starting P2 on the grid, finishing 10th, I believe, in that race with just really bad strategy calls. They biffed on more than one safety car that they could have pulled him in yeah, on. Yeah, I remember that. And then they also put him on the hards when no one else could run the hards. And they were like, yeah, here's some hard tires for you. And everyone else was slow on the hards. And they were like, what are we doing here? And and he was quick to point that out. I think, in fairness, Alonso does this thing. He does the same thing Omar oh, does. But yeah. he's a little more cheeky about it, so that's fine. He also has two world championships, so yes. he can, he can yeah. say what he wants. <laughs> that's, fair, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, as, an, as, a, as an aside, I feel like this was kind of the Alonso bit. Ocon was good last year. Obviously... It's really hard to 
win another race in that car, particularly as granted you only had one car to deal with this year throughout the year that was dominating, but it was pretty far. So Alonso should also have a bunch of credit for that Ocon win. The way yeah. he held up Lewis was absolutely insane and legendary as I've ever seen racing ever have it. So. Truly legendary. I think my favorite thing that I watched Alonso at Alpine Dunes <laughs> this past year, and for what anybody wants to say about Alonso, he is, not I think, genuinely a good teammate. Yeah, I think he genuinely cares. I think he was really great in what he was willing to do for... I don't think it was just personal gain in terms of how he wanted to handle that Lewis situation. I think he also wanted his teammate to win that race. And then last year, he's holding up the McLarens and trying to get Ocon to catch up. And he had one of his two legendary lines of the year saying, like, yeah, no, I want them close to me. I want to hurt their tires. Like, this is going to be good. And, like, that's so cool, man. Uh, as, as the other piece in regards to Lewis, this guy only knows how to drive from the front. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that, dude. Like, that's so funny. Uh, like, no, you don't say that. And you probably shouldn't say that. But it was, it was a, nothing else if, if not funny. Final piece, Ocon, 8.165, two DNFs on the season. That's his final average. Alonso sitting at eight on the money, six DNFs. It's a good year, but again, meat on the bone left. Um, yeah, I, the only thing I want to add is the how do you lose Alonso and Oscar Piastri <laughs> in a week? Like, literally a week from each other. Yeah. Well, so, I, I, th- I think I think we know the answer to that one, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah it's just a bad look, though, for the whole team. The Enzo-based team always seems to have some sort of driver drama with Ricardo leaving early, and now they lose a world champion and the hottest prospect over the past five years. So, brutal. Brutal form. I just want to throw it out there. Yeah. I'm not forgetting about you, Oscar. I really hope you do well. We're, even we're though wishing it you looks well. Looks like a very bad move right now. Yeah, I I think the uh, the grand piece there is pretty simple. Alonso left early. They were not anticipating him not receiving the contract. They quickly tried to pivot as if they were aware of what was happening. I think Alonso going behind their back as opposed to them taking that pretty on the chin and being open about how off note that was. They tried to just cover it up and be like, yeah, we knew this was coming. That's why Oscar signed with us. And for those of you that don't know, this is a now infamous tweet of like, hey, so I saw that Alpine said that I signed with them. No, I did not do that. (laughs) That's incorrect. Try again. He was like, this is not true. I have not signed with anyone, which was for about a week or so. Very hot drama and very spicy. Yeah, whenever Albon re-signs his Williams contract, he then puts, he's like, I understand that with my agreement williams has put out a best car like it was a whole thing oh, through so the paddock it was it hilarious is, it is my understanding that that williams has said that i have signed with him and this is true i did that, is, <laughs> <laughs> that was good that was fun stuff so that's our final bit on alpine that, that was probably longer than i think either of us anticipated it being yeah, so it was but let's speaking of oscar piastri let's rotate to his new team uh mclaren 2022 what uh what do you got here it's a letdown for sure <laughs> so uh yeah i feel bad for him but not really, because I'm not a huge Zach Brown fan. But um, Lando is Lando. Lando is a top talent in this sport. I think that's been proven now. He was close with signs when he was very young in the sport. And now he has dominated Ricardo. I don't think... I mean, Piastri has a lot of talent, but Piastri's going to be a rookie, so he's going to dominate his teammate probably again this year. And at the end of the day, Lando is a superstar. He deserves a better car. They really shouldn't have even been in the fight for fourth had we not just told you about all of Alpine's reliability issues. So it really shouldn't have even been as close as it was. 
Um, it's a letdown. You go from they were the third car on the grid when Ferrari had their down year in 2020, and then they were fighting with Ferrari in 2021, and then they're fighting with Alpine and nowhere near the top three teams in 2022. So it's just it's a bad look. It's a downward spiral. I feel bad for Lando because he still has two years left on that deal. Um, the other side is Ricardo, my favorite driver. A letdown. He uh, he drives with emotions, and the emotions were never good. So he never really drove well. Like it, it never felt like he actually had the drive that he used to have to drive that car. I'm not saying like he was. I'm not saying he sandbagged or did it on purpose, but I just don't think he had the nerve in him to really fight for that extra spot or to really take that risk to make the apex or get that extra tenth, two tenths on a qualifying lap. So. One, if the car is that hard to adapt to, to where even Lando is saying it, there's an issue there. Two, there, it always just felt like there was something missing inside the team to really help support Ricardo. So, RIP, I'll miss him. I hope he comes back. Red Bull second seat, 2024. But anyways. Yeah, the the Daniel and Morium section, that's for sure. And hey, you know, in two years when Lando sees the second seat at Red Bull open up again, you know, maybe he'll just go over there. That would be a very fun fight between him and Max. That'd be very interesting. I uh, would love it. I don't know if Lando's going to do it because I, Max destroys careers, but yeah, I, th- I, I, I think he'll want to be a number one driver, but there's always hope. So yeah, here's, here's something positive in the, the light and the darkness here. Lando did get a podium in Imola. He did get a fourth place as well down the stretch. So there's a couple bright spots there. In 2021, there was plenty of bright spots. You know, Lando gets his first pole. He should have won his first race in Russia, but then there was it's in the wet towards the end. He did what I think any driver would do. That was so heartbreaking, though. Yeah, I think he did what any driver in first place would do in that position. I think it's very unfortunate that he was the one in first? Yeah, because yeah. whatever he did, obviously whoever's in second in that situation was Lewis, was going to do the opposite. If he would have pitted, then Lewis would not have, and that's how that would have gone, I think. Yeah. so. Um, and you got to think when you're in first place and it's your first true opportunity to win a race Formula 1, you're not willing to give up track position there. Like It's totally fair, but yeah, then obviously Daniel wins Monza in 21 with the, with the McLaren 1-2, and like that was really fun, and... Yeah, there's just no pace. Uh, straight line, average, cornering, s- s- competitive, but not special. But then their brakes were overheating. So like, even though they could get to the corner, they couldn't really consi- consistently slow the car down with the brake. Like, yeah, the drivers are having to do so much to try and overcome a faulty car. Yeah, so you know, I was watching Nico Rosberg just play with his dash on his Azerbaijan pole in... 14 i want to say and you see him do like 16 different adjustments just like button presses so he's adjusting his brake balance positive and negative and his brake mitigation and it felt like that's what this team was going to have to do in order to survive like all these lockups was going to have to be constantly finagling with the car corner to corner and that's just not feasible like Hey, yeah, Michael Schumacher did that in Monaco because he's Michael Schumacher. He can adjust mid-corner if he wants to because he's the other arguably greatest of all time. Yeah, it's a one-two debate. In it. So when you're not maybe the greatest driver to have ever done it, yeah, probably don't be put in that position. So, yeah, it was it was hard to watch. You know, they tried to aim at this 
let's get some competitive cornering speed, but then your like tires just couldn't handle. And I think they protected Lando a little more than I would have liked. And as someone who's not like the largest Ricardo fan, even I was still feeling really bad for him. You know, there's situations where you feel like he is just absolutely begging on the radio just for a chance to see what he can do up the field. He'd be like, hey, listen, I think that I'm being held up by Lando here. Let me get ahead. I think I can pass the guy in front. If I can't, I'll swap positions back. Just give me a shot here. I think it was the Austria sprint race that he was lap after lap. Like, dude, this guy is hurting my tires. It's hurting my chances. I could do this. And they just kept telling him to wait. They're like, hold on. We're looking into it. We're looking into it. Yeah, just hold out. And they're like, all right, good job, man. That was a good good sprint. (laughs) It's like, come on, dude, this poor guy. Uh, The gap between those two is the largest of any teammate. And that's... It's really not surprising, sadly. I mean, it sucks. This is a cutthroat business. In when you have a 4.19 position lead over your teammate. And nobody else has more than three. And those teams that do have gaps like that have a rookie or Nicholas Tifi, the GOAT. Uh, uh, the GOAT, true goat Tifi! The actual GOAT. Um, yeah, that's just that's just not going to cut it. It's going to be so loud. <laughs> <laughs> but, look, like, I mean, look, Daniel's a nine-time race winner. Like, he has the ability. And I think that's what's so hard to watch is it's not just Flash. It's I've seen you do it, and then I just watched you not, and it, yeah, it was it was hard to follow. So rest in peace, Danny. We hope to see you on the grid at some point. You are a true American. I tell you, when when Alpha Tauri sells their spot to Andretti, uh, it's going to be Colton Herta and Daniel, Daniel Ricardo. Yes, I could see it. It's gonna I really happen. could. It's going to happen. I mean, da- Daniel's the most is maybe about as American as they come. So we'll take it. So let's talk Aston Martin here. Yeah. So. Go for, uh, go for it. I got for the next year. I know. Yeah, this is your dark horse. Let's let's run through twenty two, so, and then I'm excited uh, to hear what you think for this upcoming year. Start of the year, brutal. I mean, like literally the ninth car, sometimes even getting beat by the Williams. Like it was just a horrible start to the year. The green tractor. <coughs> it was a green tractor. Yeah. yeah, and then all of a sudden, they do the green Red Bull, and they have a car that it looked like. The switch, whenever they first made it, it took them like a few races to kind of know what they were doing with that car. And then once they kind of got their hang, they knew their setups, how they wanted to balance the car, all of the finer things that come with having a completely different car. I mean, it's pretty much a whole B-spec car. Yeah. So once they got that done, all of a sudden it seemed like they were able to really fight closer in the midfield or the upper midfield. Like they were kind of competing with the Alpines, at least McLaren. Yeah. And one of the, one of the McLarens, both drivers, R.I.P. Vettel. I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you bad. But he was. He looked like he had confidence in that car. They were driving well. And then Lance is. I mean Lance. He's a Formula One driver that is very average. Yeah, he is. He is a driver that exists. Yeah. If you're better than Lance Stroll, you're a pretty good Formula One driver. If you're worse than Lance Stroll, you probably aren't going to have a seat for very long. What's uh who is it? Jeff Foxworthy that did the "you might be a redneck" joke. Like, if you are worse than Lance Stroll, you might be Nikita Mazepin, or you might be Nicholas Satifi. Those are your options. Here. I, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, so Aston Martin really had that Frankenstein's monster situation yeah, of just, horrible. like, totally transitioning a car from one 
game plan. And you could see from the beginning of the year when you saw it looked like a gorgeous car from from the launch. Oh, yeah. And you could kind of see like, oh, it's going to do this and this. And a very sudden change in motivation and vision on how they wanted this car to work, which begged the question, hey, sir, are you just stealing somebody else's idea? Because you can normally track as a, as a team upgrades their car, kind of what the vision and, and what the yeah. aim of this car was. And to just suddenly transition was interesting and – Red Bull had their little silent protest by putting the green Red Bull cans on the pit wall, and that was that was really cute. I thought that was classy and funny. Um, but yeah, they, they had quite a turnaround. Here's where numbers get interesting, and I kind of changed the way that I was approaching this episode and probably how I'll approach all of them going forward is the Aston Martin gap felt massive. And as I was writing my script initially, I kept writing things along the lines of it felt like this and it seemed like that they went from this to more or less kind of doing this sort of thing and i had this third party observation of like that doesn't mean anything to anyone if you don't know if you didn't watch it because there's no point in us talking about last year if you walked last year you know yeah it's fun maybe to like get a couple new tidbits but by and large that's not what this episode's about it's about inviting people in that are not particularly associated or caught up into the sport entirely. So let's put some numbers to this. So if you're mad that this is long, this is my fault. At the start, this is my it felt like bit. One car out in Q1, done by Q2. Short Saturdays for them, generally. Yes. By the end of the year, they're regularly in Q3, if not both cars in Q3. Now granted, it was like 9-10, but they were both there. They're there. Uh, I, the Alfa Romeo boss talked about the difference between 8th and 14th. I think it was uh, the Romeo boss. He's, he's talking on the F1 Nation podcast. And, sir. Yeah, yeah. The, now the uh, team principal of Ferrari. So get, what a glow up for him. So, oh, no, I just realized. Oh, no. We're going to talk about Fred Escher in here, here in just a second. I, I, have, I have a new thought here. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so he was talking about the gap between 8th and 14th is so marginal that it's – borderline lucky the difference there and i think that the numbers actually more support what he's saying than what it felt like it felt like they took this huge jump from back of the grid to like fighting truly in the mid pack as as an actually competitive car to be in the mix of things not in the mix of the front but in the mix of something interesting in the points area something that they care about here's what the gap looks like for them in reality aston martin increased from 10.9 to 10.15. Almost the whole position. Yeah, it's 0.75. So, yeah, three quarters of a position is the jump officially. And that doesn't, it's not, in no way is what it felt like. No, not at all. Like, at all. It felt like they massively moved. But I guess in the what the numbers would more suggest is probably something along the lines of finishing 11-12 in Q2 to finishing 9-10 in Q2 and getting into Q3. Yeah. That's probably more likely the gap. And I think we really did see Vettel get more in tune with the car towards the end, and he was really pushing the pace. So he had a couple races where he was actually like kind of up there, near the I top mean, five. There was yeah. a couple points where he was eyeing, and, like eyeing like a podium. Running, like running fifth for a couple yeah. times. Like he, 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 was, had some he had really eyes on good. a podium at, one, yeah. at a couple points last year. So there, <laughs> there were some things there. And Yeah, look, dude, Lance Stroll, I just... He's won a race. What is it? So, like, there's not a whole lot I can say. I can't be like, he's terrible. Did he win a race? Yeah. I thought he just finished on pole. Did, did no, he, he has a podium. 
He had a podium with Williams. He had a second place podium with Williams. Okay, that's right. But yeah. I mean, that's with a Williams. So yeah, so that's that means something. <laughs> yeah. But I I don't know that there is another driver on the grid, at at least this year, that has more unforced errors. Whether that's things that he doesn't get out of the way of, whether that's things that he caused that certainly could have been avoided. You. Obviously, the one that sticks out to me is his crash with Alonzo, where he's sending Alonzo flying. Yeah, suddenly, like Alonzo is in his slipstream. So, for those of you that are not super aware, so cars are going to punch a hole through the air. So, you're going to have this gap behind them that is not being resisted by wind as much. So, you're going to have a little more speed through there. So, what drivers like to do when they're in that front position is break away from that so that they're not helping the opponent as much. He breaks away after Alonzo's already committed to cut out of the slipstream. And he cuts into him. And that was that. Alonzo's doing a hydraulic system, doing it, popping a wheelie here. Yeah, so with the open wheel cars, whenever those tires make contact between two different cars, it's dangerous. Like, very well, that's normally when cars end up in the air. So, Alonzo's front it's hard to say passenger side but in america it would be the passenger side of the vehicle they don't really have a passenger side but anyways you get what i'm saying yeah because we're american clips the bright rear or the driver's side rear tire of his teammate because he came over too late and it sends alonzo's car like the nose straight up in the air yeah it was it was like a like a 75 degree angle it was crazy so they're gonna be teammates so that's gonna be fun uh Lance had yeah. he just he that's really my complaint is I think other than that I have no issue with him he's inoffensive as a driver he just, he just kind of exists yeah he he uh, there's a, there's a fun meme in the Call of Duty competitive community which is anytime that a roster would get announced there's 12 teams in the league and people would be like this is a it's definitely a top 12 team this is a team in the league that's for sure <laughs> and like Lance Stroll is a driver. In the league, that's yep. he is a driver on the grid. He is at least top twenty on the grid, so he has that. And I, I genuinely do think he belongs in the F one grid, even without his daddy's money. Like he's he's a he's a competent, good F one driver. He's not gonna win a world title, probably, but I I really enjoy the like daddy's money conversation because I saw an, an alternate perspective on this, which was like most parents. With money and, and their kid, if they don't want them to do it, they would try and throw money at something else in order to get them to yeah. do something else. But maybe what Lawrence is doing is collecting world champions to just defeat his whole son's like <laughs> sense of drive and desire and make him quit on his own. And I think that like there's a conspiracy. That is a very funny idea. I, surely, obviously, that's not what's happening. But conceptually, that's very but funny. But it's hilarious. He's just like, oh, four-time world champion. Here, how about you just come like – destroy my son for a year oh you're retiring two-time world champion how about you come you're up yeah <laughs> or maybe he's just in the habit of killing off all the world champions like it's gonna it's gonna be lewis next like this is the this is the arizona cardinals of formula one this is the retirement home you know maybe that's what this is who's to say lewis is not leaving mercedes no, yeah you can't imagine um okay there's another side side run for you guys alfa romeo go ahead i got some some strong feelings here so i'll let you lead out oh alpha well, I mean, at the start of the year, the car is great. Valtteri's out qualifying the Mercedes. That was fun. Absolutely hilarious. But uh, 
Joe was a rookie. He struggled at the start of the year when the car was very capable of scoring points. He did I mean, score one point. Yeah. He the did season, he Race one. Yeah. Debut points. So, good for Joe. I think Joe proved himself pretty well this year. I honestly think he stacked up pretty well against Valtteri, who is a multiple race winner. Granted, that was when Mercedes was dominating and Valtteri was their number two driver. But anyways, Valtteri is a competent, good, known quantity. You know what Valtteri Bottas is. Joe was someone that everyone thought was coming in with these Chinese. It's big for the sport that he was just carrying sponsorship money and blah, 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 blah else. And then he kind of proved, no, I'm, I'm here to I'm here to drive. I'm going to actually drive the car. And outside of the scariest accident of the season, which yeah. also was not his fault, but he did a great job in that car. The problem is once he got used to it, it had fallen out of the points, yeah. and it wasn't a point-scoring car. So his season just statistically probably doesn't look as good as it was, but he did well. Yeah, so here's here's where my Fred Vassar Ferrari feelings start to, start to come up. So another Ferrari engine that starts hot. I had Valtteri as my Dark Horse Monaco winner after Bahrain. The data suggested that he was the fastest or – Somewhere in the top two or three in terms of cornering and the slower speed corners, I was like, oh, Valtteri's going to win Monaco in the Alfa Romeo. This is going to be the coolest thing ever. For all my issues with Monaco, it does seem to semi-regularly, it, more, I'll say at least more often than many tracks, present an interesting race win. It may not. It may be exactly who you thought it was going to be, but like it probably won't be exactly the way you expected it to be. Like Daniel starts in pole in 2018. Yeah. But it didn't down the stretch. It didn't look like that's how that was going to go. Obviously, Charles starts in pole in twenty two, and then that happens. He started on pole in twenty one, and then he didn't get to start on pole. Um, oh, because he had the collision at the end of qualifying, and they so, didn't change the gearbox. Yeah, so like these things happen, and, and I was thinking, I was like, ah, Valtteri's going to be the guy that comes out on top of this. This is going to be cool. Um, and the car just fell off or fell apart. That's more or less how this happened. So this team had eleven DNFs. You have 22 races and two cars. That is a fourth of your entries that never see the checkered flag. So in relation to Ferrari, (laughs) a car that we said just kept tripping over itself and couldn't get out of its own way. And here we are, and I I still do believe this. I'm thinking, oh man, Fred Visser is really going to get this thing together. He's going to tighten this ship. That that's not that's not the best that's not the most overwhelming evidence to suggest like that it is not obvious to me that that is what that would mean. Uh, I think it's going to be fine. I don't think that that is truly a, a good indication of who he is or how he's going to run it. But that is a, a terrifying thought that if it goes poorly, people will report back to that point. Yeah, oh, I would have never terrifying. put that together until you just said it. I honestly was like, yeah, it's Fred Vasseur. He's a great hire. What? That's yeah, really a job Ferrari. And the last time we had this conversation, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is cool, and then it just I was like, oh no. <sighs> So, oh, it's not. Oh, it's really not. Let's just let's just hope that those cars also did the same thing where they both started really well and then just fell off. <laughs> like the same car, yeah, the same car. They're both great cornering speeds cars. They're, yeah, they're all the same. Uh, okay, well, you know, <laughs> we'll we'll let Romeo, we'll let Sleeping Dogs die here. Uh, listen, Valtteri, we we all love you and your mustache and your mullet, and it's very very funny. It's a great haircut. Uh, I am and helmet design this year hilarious <laughs> yeah it's as good as it gets so well, i think everyone is very glad that he found a home that properly appreciates him not only is he a multi-time race winner but in equal machinery to lewis hamilton which is just not an easy thing to be trying yeah. to compete with so 
all props and credit to him. I think that he is probably an undervalued driver, and I'm glad that Alpha saw what they what I think more of us should be expecting from him, which is, yeah, he may not be delivering results week to week every single time, but he is certainly capable of being towards the top of the grid when he has a, a car hooked up underneath him. He's and that's also how one here. heck of a qualifier. Yeah, like, wild. One lap pace, he's probably About, like yeah. top five on the grid, like just pure like raw one lap speed. Like he is insane. He stole quite a few. Yeah. Stole quite a few from Lewis over the years. And even in 21, uh, when it was Lewis and Max, just sometimes it was like, oh, and uh, oh, okay, right. I guess oh, Valtteri's yeah. on pole. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was just like all of a sudden he'd be like, oh, Max got it. And they're like, wait, wait a there's second. a Mercedes coming. Wait, Lewis. Oh, wait, that's Valtteri. Uh, ne- also, side tangent, never forget the, I believe it was Austria fastest lap attempt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was very funny. For context, as Valtteri was getting close, so <coughs> here's the way that point structure worked is you get points from first through 10th, and if you finish top 10 and you have the fastest lap, you will be awarded an extra point. This is normally relevant for drivers trying to compete very tightly with other people in the driver championship or when the constructor championship is particularly tight. That is something of interest that matters. So as he is racing early third of the season, I yeah. think he starts going for a fastest lap attempt. <coughs> the, his race engineer informs him, Hey, please don't do that. Uh, I would, I would really love for you to abort this fastest <laughs> lap mission. And then he's tries. He, tr- he did slow down and he still got the fastest yeah. lap. So yeah, no, all, all credit to Valtteri. There was like is... statistical, like he let off the throttle, throttle on the straight, yeah. and then still had the fastest lap. And everyone he, was like, uh... <laughs> he did everything short of like turning the car sideways or stopping the car. So like, credit where it's due to him. Um, that's conclusion of Alfa Romeo from one Alpha to another Alpha Tauri. Down here, I cannot um, wait until Alfa Romeo is now called Alfa Romeo. Yeah, I'm it's... so tired of there being Alpha and Alpha Romeo and Alpha Tari, like, and they're just, spelled differently. Yeah, I just, just can we just have one, please? Or Alpha Tari gets sold. Either way, anyway. Sorry, side tangent. Mario Andretti, please. I need, <laughs> I need you to buy this Alpha Tari spot. Uh, in 2021, a pretty competitive team towards the top of the midfield. Pierre fighting... was constantly fifth, sixth, the seventh was like a bad race for Pierre. Yeah, like third row on the grid. That is. His one-lap pace was third-best car. Like, that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, Pierre is also another one of those guys that can qualify like a rock star. Yeah, and obviously a, a race winner in the past as well. And I think uh, you're looking at 142 points in 21. Gasly scored 77% of those points that year. 2022, yeah, he, he was really carrying the load. And in 2022, it felt like Pierre was just gone. It was like, where is he? I, He's P14. That doesn't feel right. And it didn't feel right. It's like, it felt like Yuki was doing a lot of the work. And that was not what I anticipated or what I'm used to seeing. And again, this is a situation where it feels like, and it seemed as though, does not actually add up. Pierre Gasly is still sitting at 65% of the points for the team. That being said, he went from scoring like 100 points to 23 points. So that's uh, that's the drop off there. Maybe that's why it felt so severe. Jesus, it, yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't realize it was that bad. It was bad. It, not, not like not just as a team, but like him specifically. Yeah, it was rough. So I mean, there was a I saw a meme that, that rolled around that was like Alpha Tauri's car is so bad that it makes Pierre Gasly look look worse than Yuki Sonoda. And like, I, I got my feelings on Yuki, but like that's that's tough, man. That's really funny. Um, yeah, they they this is. The, the real drop-off here from 6th on the grid to ninth, ninth in Constructor. 
behind the green tractor, you know. Oh, yeah. Behind Haas, just ahead of Williams. That's it. Like, it's, like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing because they are Red Bull's sister team. Why wouldn't you take more parts from Red Bull? Be like what Haas does with Ferrari. Like, they take everything they can from Ferrari because Ferrari's a top three team and they know they don't have the resources to build a car like Ferrari can. So why wouldn't you do that? Like, you are a sister team to the most dominant car we have seen ever in the history of Formula One. Perhaps, they, yeah. Like, Max won the most races ever last year. Now, it, it, here's a an interesting point on that. Like, Haas did adapt that Ferrari car, and people were like, hmm, boy, that car sure looks like a white Ferrari. Is that okay? And I guess so. I guess it was okay. So, yeah, why isn't AlphaTauri just being like, hey, so, like, let me copy your homework, man? Like, Yeah, like... For- you literally share a wind tunnel with them. I know that there's like all these rules and everything, but you are the sister team. Like there is a Red Bull badge on the AlphaTauri car. All the drivers have like the blue Red Bull sign over the AlphaTauri thing. Like, what are you doing? And Red Bull has a vested interest in their success as well because they would like to see what good drivers look like in a capable car, so that if they need somebody to come up, they can. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. That's that. It's a weird drop off for them and. You know, we're, I don't know, man. It, it's it was really it was really upsetting. This is a team that was 471 and a half points down from the leader in 2021 to 724 points down in 2022. That comes with two reasons: you're not having two teams splitting race wins week to week, but again, it's it's from six to ninth. It's from 142 points to 35, 37 points, 35, I think it was. It's just, it's bad. Like, yeah. it's just genuinely not good. Ninth is, for a team like that, it's just simply unacceptable. <laughs> it's just unacceptable, and I think that I, I'm not willing to make the assumption that one year's poor performance is why they're selling, because that can't, I don't think that no. they would be that reactionary. But it does add an interesting element of the value of that team, if that's how bad they looked. And I think what we'll see from them this year will... <laughs> be very interesting in relation to the valuation of that team going forward. Here's a team that's not going anywhere, hopefully. Haas. Oh, Haas. Haas, 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 Haas. It's just, I mean, there's so... uh, Gunther is one of the best characters on the grid. An absolute legend. Absolutely love him. Uh, K-Mag, redemption year. (laughs) Like, it it really was for K-Mag. It was a genuine redemption year. And if he does what he did to Mick Schumacher, to Nico Hulkenberg, like he might find his way out of that Haas seat and into, like, a somewhat, like, comparable seat. You know what I mean? I, and I do think he's going to do that to Nico, I, by the way. I also would agree with you. And then there's Mick. Oh, what we all want. Everyone wants Mick to be Michael. Like, I, I genuinely think that's a thing. Like, everyone wants Mick to actually be good, and he's not. It's so hard for me to admit. Like, I don't think Haas has really helped develop him at all. I think they've kind of hurt him a little bit. And I think losing the Ferrari Driver Academy hurt a little bit, too. But he's just, it was like every time it seemed like he was putting the foot right, he then has a million-dollar accident. Like, yeah, that was a rough one. It, it, horrible. And, like, you start to get kind of worried for the guy because you can tell he's pushing so hard that he's way past his comfort zone, like, way outside of it, to where then his accidents are in 
the fastest spots of the track in the tightest corners in the like worst spots to wreck and that's like it's i don't know it's so hard to see because again i think everyone was pushing for him he's a genuinely nice guy as wholesome as they come on the grid i i he i remember in 20 in his rookie year in 21 he missed q3 just barely and he's like ah beep beep and like that's so cute man like i clearly a a a good kid with a good head on his shoulders and you always want to see like even like even keeled well-mannered people like just succeed and Unfortunately, that's not what he got. I do think that him going to Mercedes will possibly grant a chance for him going forward. I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope that it, it, it at least is a better position for him to be in with a team like that that I think actually will Develop implement. Him. Yeah, and I, and I think that has like the resources to do that. I think what they did for nick i think is valuable to what he was able to do for the whatever five teams he drove for last year like intermittently insane, yeah like uh and, and i think that him we'll, we'll get into nick later on the next episode but what nick was able to do in a car that he basically just walked into for a week for a weekend and then to score point in it like i think that a lot of that is obviously talent on his end but i think in what he learned in his many years over at merck in the in the behind the scenes was helpful to that so hopefully Hopefully Mick gets that opportunity. He had a couple moments. He finished 6th and 8th in back-to-back races, and it felt like it's starting to happen. And that's not how that closed out. And, you know, we, you got to wish the best for the kid going forward. On the other hand, yeah, back to back to the lead driver, Kevin Magnuson, led, led a winter testing session. Yeah. And I remember everyone knew that that wasn't real, but it was like, oh, my, oh my God, it's what's happening is is Haas good are they not just like average are they good yeah and relative for them i would say like yeah it's good and they were pretty competitive throughout the back of them uh, like the back of the points and sitting in that like true midfield yeah. i mean he had a fifth in bahrain to start the season like absolutely insane stuff yeah. from k mag and and he gets the pull, his first pull and, and i'm i didn't feel for all the research I did, I felt zero need to look up uh, <coughs> if Haas ever had a pole before they this had. year because that yeah I was quite certain that they hadn't and so he pulls in his first his first pole position the first pole position for the franchise like that's really exciting stuff and every action had its equal opposite reaction he was brave enough to go out on slicks before that track really got too crazy and then you have a sprint race so the the sprint format for those of you that are unfamiliar you have your traditional weekend format is practices on Friday, qualifying on Saturday, race on Sunday. The sprint race format is twofold. It's more entertaining because you have a little more racing action. But yes. I think also just from a pure like financial business perspective, uh, why would I, I as an advertiser want to put my ads and pay money for Friday? It's just practice. It's the least viewership. But if you put qualifying on Friday, suddenly more people are going to watch that. And then there's going to be more interest on Saturday for the sprint race because who knows what happens on Friday qualifying. Yeah. And then you have the race on Sunday. It's a it's an interesting format that in this specific situation robbed us of what could have been a really interesting story. But by and large, I think the sprint race format's really good. Uh, it's it's a good run. All props to Haas altogether. They put together a very competitive car relative to what they've been doing in recent years, in the last two or three, and. Happy for them, happy for Gunther, and, you know, shout out Gene Haas. Hey, Gene. Uh, 
sponsor at OTC, by the way. Case you didn't. Are they really? Yeah, the new building over there? I did not know that. <laughs> I saw, yeah, so uh, this is Missouri-only information. This is probably not interesting outside of that. But that new building that they built at OTC has its hoss what? on the wall. Look it up later. It's really Love funny. That. Yeah, so all America, baby. Uh, yeah, look, in... It's going to be interesting this year to see what Kevin Magnuson and Nico Hulkenberg do as a team. You know, suck my balls, mate, as the, as the iconic quote yes. from years past. Like, uh, I think Nico called him like the worst sport on on the on the grid. Or did you see them joking around during uh, preseason testing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so like it may, it seems like cooler heads have prevailed and they moved on. But you know, you got you got to wonder if. Like that's for I don't think that that's for cameras. I think that's genuine. I think they both grown up. They both were kind of immature at that mm. stage, especially Kevin. I think that that he's and he's pretty much owned up to that. Kevin also got a podium on his first race, and Nico holds the record for most races without, without a podium. So, <laughs> and and you know that would be fun to see change. It won't, but that'd be interesting. That'd be fun. Um, Wrong car. Yeah. If, if Has gets a podium this year. I'll get a has tattoo. Oh yeah, I, like I, like I, on my foot or something crazy. Yeah, like, it's so, not gonna be visible, but I mean, you know, yeah. it's it, it's a safe bet. I think. Uh, <laughs> let's close out on the on the other team that is about as safe. Definitely Williams. Not, not um, yeah. I. Okay, so I have an interesting thing here. Williams was kind of fast, not actually, but in straight lines. Holy, like low downforce terrifyingly fast and <laughs> yeah. uncharacteristically fast i think you know in 21 they the only reason that george got in that podium position was because um, there was the race that wasn't the race yeah and but but in fairness like he got to start up there because of his bravery and his, and his ability to, to push that car and like that was really fun other than that like they, they weren't really earning a lot by their own merit it was kind of fortunate circumstances that they were willing, and as a team at the bottom of the grid, you have to be willing to take risks. You have nothing to lose, generally. Like, if you make it to Q3, all right, cool, no one thought I was going to be here. I might as well just send it and see what happens. Yeah. Like, what's the worst-case scenario? I start where I'm already at. So, this year they had something of their own merit. And the GOAT, the king himself, Nicholas Latifi, we... We'll miss you, sort of, uh, from, from a comedic standpoint. You, you, uh, in movies, Nicholas Latifi is the comedic relief. Like, yeah, and we will miss him a little bit. That being said, fastest car through the Monza speed trap, Nicholas Latifi, last year. That is, he also had a purple sector in like a practice session. Yeah, like, he led a practice. Led a practice like that. There was a couple moments in Williams where, like, hold on, this is happening right now. Like, it's starting to come together. Um. Uh, I, I'll let you carry most of the load on Alex. I just want to say strong future in the sport for him. I, I know how much you're yes. excited about him and really impressive in his ability to score points, multiple races in different ways. And I think if nothing else, Williams has proved that they at least have a vision and a game plan, which is not something in recent years you can say that you knew where they were going and what direction they were heading. I think we can see a little bit of what that looks like now. So Props to their season. Obviously, it, it's 10th. It's not good. But relative to, I think, what most people anticipated this year being for them, I think that they really did some things correct, especially considering we are not basing off of any old information like we were on the past set of regulations. This was, from scratch, a pretty good start. They um really put together a package that wasn't good all around but it was really really good at what it did 
So low downforce tracks like Monza, it flew Canada. It was flying. Like there was certain oh. tracks where all of a sudden like you were like, oh, Williams is like the seventh fastest car on the grid right now. Like they'd have laps where it was like, that's actually a pretty good lap. Like it was not bad. Uh, Alex had the whole the race where he went 52 laps on one set of hard tires and then just put on softs for the rules regulation. So uh, for those that don't know, you have to put on two different tire compounds in a Formula One race. So you have to make a pit stop. It keeps the sport kind of alive and like you have to. It adds strategy to it no matter what. So it kind of can change the results. So they do that. So he does the entire race on a set of hearts, which is pretty much deemed like impossible. And then switches in for a pair of softs on the last lap and scores points on it. Like, it was a genuinely impressive performance. Um, Albon has redeemed himself. I also don't. So he used to be a Red Bull driver, for those that don't know. He was promoted in his rookie year to Red Bull. And then. Halfway through. Yeah, halfway, halfway through. through his rookie year. And then had an okay season there. And then his second season. Got two podiums. Probably should have had a race win had he not tangled with Lewis Hamilton and got spun around in the gravel. Twice. Uh, yeah, back-to-back years. Mm. Same spot. But he genuinely was not looking like a bad driver. And then he has to sit out a year because Red Bull replaces him. And then he gets back on the grid with Williams. So he's back this year. And he utterly dominates Nicholas Latifi. Like, just dominates him. And then... Has those crazy races, scores constant points. Probably would have scored more points had he not had to have surgery and then an infection in that surgery where he had surgery and misses a race, which is what gave Nick DeVries his whole shining star moment. But he genuinely put together a good year. And when Lando Norris leaves McLaren, he's going to get the McLaren seat. Oh, there you have it. Yeah, I, final, final piece on Alex for context of what his year looked like and how impressive it was. We just had some nice things to say about Haas. He's above both of their drivers in terms of average placement. This is Latifi, last place, 15.6 average placement on the year. Schumacher, 19th, 13.5. Joe Guan Yu, 12.86. Magnussen, 12.81. Albon, 12.6. Right above him, Sonoda, 12.5. So, like... He is above both Haas drivers, a Romeo driver, and his teammate, and a tenth of a position away from an, an Alpha Tauri. In what was substantially the worst car on the grid. So, yeah, big credit to him. And I think really what uh, some interesting things that we saw from Williams will hopefully pay out with the introduction of Logan Sargent. The the most aggressively American thing I've ever seen. Sargent Logan. Oh man, I love it. He I don't know if you've seen the his like first day of Formula One yeah. thing. It's the most American thing you'll ever see. Please, if you're listening to this, look it up. It's very funny. Particularly if you are American, it's about as patriotic as as, as it gets. So it, we we will truly get Florida Man on track next year, and I can't wait. And that is gonna wrap us up here for the first episode, the inside track. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Once again, I'm Carter. I'm Skyler. We will see you on the next one.